Hi, thank you, Mark. Um, my name is Michael, and uh, I am a compulsive overeater. And I want to welcome everybody to Serenity Sunday. And I want to, um, I'm your leader for this meeting. And will all who care to join me in the serenity prayer? God, God grant me serenity, serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to say things I can't, and the wisdom to know I'm different in the Bible, but I will be done. So here are some house rules. If you're celebrating a birthday, please message the secretary in the chat now and your name and number of years. And I believe the secretary is Cindy, right? And uh, the chat will be disabled during the speaker's share. If you have any announcements, please message the secretary in the chat now. If you are eating or moving around, please turn off your video or the host may do so. Are there, how do you not move around? I don't know. Um, all right, so are there any other compulsive overeaters here besides myself? Please give us a wave. Hi, everybody. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting or accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors, and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. If you are new to Overeaters Anonymous, we warmly welcome you home. I have asked Carl to read how it works from chapter five of the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Please unmute and the reading will be shared on the screen. Good morning, my name is Carl, I'm a compulsive overeater, and this Carl. is how it works. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to the simple program, usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They're not at fault, they seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. There are those too who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened and what we are like now. If you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, then you are ready to take certain steps. At some of these, we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way, but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Remember that we deal with food, cunning, 
baffling powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Half measures availed us nothing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, saw through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Many of us exclaimed, what an order. I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Our description of the compulsive overeater, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after made clear three pertinent ideas. A, that we were compulsive overeaters and could not manage our own lives. B, that probably no human power could have relieved our compulsive overeating. And C, that God could and would if he were sought. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, Carl. Very, very nice. The thing that comes to mind, Doris would be proud of you. Doris was an old timer that made you, didn't make you, but you had to read and enunciate. And you and did that slowly. very, yes. very well, Carl. You get it. I learned well. Okay, no crosstalk. You can mute now. Mute him, Mark. Mute him, because he'll talk forever. Anyway, it's now time for me to qualify for 20 minutes. And the timer has already um, found out how I would like my time. Thank you very much. And so right now, I'm going to state my name. My name is Michael, and I am a compulsive overeater. And I want to thank um, Carla 
for asking me to share this morning. It's interesting, the pandemic has made everything a little fablungeon, and uh, my meetings have changed, my schedule has changed, and I forgot there even was a Serenity Sunday on, in, on Roxbury, which hopefully will be in person very, very soon, because thank God the pandemic seems to be dying down. Um, so I came to you a while ago, if you're new, I came to you in the early 80s. I had got clean and sober in the beverage program, and I, at the end of my first year, I had a horrible cigarette addiction. I was smoking three packs a day, and I couldn't stop. And I'd go to, to my AA meetings, and I'd bitch about it, and the old-timers would say, you have to adhere to the traditions. We don't care about your cigarettes. The hell with you. If you're clean and sober, that's all we care about. And, and I got offended because I was really in pain. But I didn't know back then that the old timers were protecting the traditions. And we identify here, I identify as a food addict, a compulsive overeater. So I don't want to hear about your cigarette. The only reason I'm talking about that now is because somebody told me about a program called, uh, now I think it's called Nicotine Anonymous, Nicotine Anonymous. And their primary purpose was to fetch and to work the steps so that their cigarette addiction would be removed. So I went there. And I fetched for six weeks, and sure enough, lo and behold, the cigarette, three packs a day, was removed. And uh, so I knew that the 12 steps work, but I got hungry, you know, a lot after my meetings. And uh, so I put on 30 pounds in 30 days. And uh, so uh, I, I didn't know much. I was only a couple of years in the program. So I went to AA and I bitched about my haagen addiction and my pizza addiction and all. And they go, what's the matter with you? And I, you know what? You can't yell at me. I know there's Overeaters Anonymous. I know there's a, and I went to you guys and I heard, and I listened. I didn't want to ask for help because I, I still don't want to ask for help. I want to be able to figure this thing out alone and that'll kill me. And so, especially with my food addiction. And um, so after about a year of listening to a lot of you ate three meals, a day with nothing in between and no recreational sugar, no flour, whatever. I tried to do this on my own and I couldn't. I kept gaining weight. And after about a year, I raised my hand and I said, my name is Michael. I'm a compulsive eater, which was a kind of admission in itself, but I wasn't willing to ask for help. And when I did, when I said, I don't know how to do this, Matt Masterman, he, uh, he's, he rest in peace. He had lost over a hundred pounds and he was very wise man. He knew the big book in and out and he gave me his number and he told me to call him. And when I called him, he said, well, what are you going to eat today? And I said, I don't know. And he says, well, he says, what? And I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out on my own. He says, why don't you go ahead and mark down everything you did eat and call me in at nighttime? And I did. And I called him and I have no idea 30, 40 some odd years ago what I ate, but I can guarantee because I had to be accountable to another person and I like to people please and stuff like that. And this disease is embarrassing, by the way. I don't know if you guys know that, but uh, I wasn't embarrassed enough not to call Matt because he had a little message of depth and literally depth and weight. He had lost over 100 pounds and I told him what I ate. And he said, well, good, Mike, you want to let's do this again tomorrow. 
And I got in the habit without even working. Well, I think I had worked the first step because 30 pounds in 30 days and going up, up, up on the scale, you, you kind of realize you're powerless over, over food. And I kind of knew my life was unmanageable because I had worked the steps in my other program. And I know that when I take charge, everything goes to hell. I always say, and this is true with all these years of abstinence, in, in, in God's world, life is an exciting adventure. And in my world, it's a friggin' nightmare. You know, I'm kind of an either or type thing. So it says in our literature in the big book, God either is or he isn't. So God was when I started calling Matt. And then I started to realize that if I planned my food in advance, um, it was easier. I didn't have to think about it, you know, uh, uh, on a minute to minute basis. So I started to plan a little bit. And then, you know, I came to meetings and I realized that, you know, fruits and vegetables are better than you know, ice cream and cake and candy and all that other stuff that I was. So very, very slowly, the awareness and the common sense and the the God sense came to fruition, because I don't know about you. I mean, we all have common sense. We all know, especially if you're experimented with food the way I did, you know what's good and you know what's bad. Lack of power is my dilemma. And the way I get the power to make healthy food choices is coming to you on a consistent basis and listening to how your conscious contact with your higher power works. And somehow I, I get a chance to, um, that envelops me along with working the steps and working with a sponsor and so on and so forth. So I don't know, something happened to Matt, he moved away and then uh, Richie, another uh, hundred pounder talk like this, he was a New York actor and, um, I, uh, I got him as a sponsor and I started calling him and, and I'd say, well, Richie, can I tell you my food after I eat it? And he said, Michael, that never worked for me. You know, failure to plan is planned failure, you know? So he had all kinds of these colloquialisms that I still have in my, my brain. If I ever eat, even if I eat a little piece of cheese or something, I hear him saying, it's an artery clogger. What are you eating an artery clogger for? I used to kind of, now Richie didn't do this perfectly. And I used to kind of hope that he was not on a roll with his food, but when he was on a roll with his food, his food would clean up, get squeaky clean. And then, then he would call me on my food that I was eating. You know, what are you eating artery cloggers for? Why are you eating red meat instead of chicken? You know, he just asked me these questions and I knew that he was, his food was, was clean when that happened. So um, anyway, I trudged the road of happy destiny with you guys. And, and, uh, and uh, what had happened is I come from uh, a family of, uh, my mother was uh, diagnosed schizophrenic in the early 50s after she had me. Um, she suffered from postpartum uh, psychosis, actually, and she had many suicide attempts and uh, 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 many shock treatments. She had an operation that was called a lobotomy in the early 50s. They cut that part of your brain out. There. So she had a horrible, horrible life. And ironically, she died maybe 43, 44 years old um, in Camarito State Hospital, going to the, to the PX, whatever they called it, to get a pack of cigarettes, right? And um, so... Um, so I, I kind of, I don't want to be schizophrenic, but when I didn't want to go out of bed, get out of bed and go to work and I felt scared, I thought maybe I had a chemical imbalance. So I started kind of futzing around with that idea and I very slowly started pulling away from you guys and I got myself into therapy and group therapy and physical therapy and a psychiatrist and 
and which was fine, but they were telling me to inter get introspectives and feel my feelings. And, you know, the grandmother who raised me, you know, who uh, was in her sixties and she screamed and yelled at me and, and she took on my case and I was a pretty self-willed uh, kid. And she told me, can you imagine, she told me to go to bed by 8.30. She told me not to eat between meals. She told me to pick up after myself and to clean up. I don't want to do that. And she screamed if I didn't do it. And then I screamed back at her, but she screamed louder. And, 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 and she held grudges. And, and, and then she wouldn't talk to me the next day and the next day. And, I, and, and, and why won't you talk to me? And then I got this idea that I was a Chazer Shaddam kid. And Yiddish, a Chazer is a pig. So sort of like I can be when I'm in my disease. She said, you offer a chazer a finger and they want the whole hand. You offer me a piece of cake, I want the whole friggin' cake. She was right on, but she didn't express herself the way I wanted to be expressed to. And my grandmother, God rest her soul, she had a, a husband who was alcoholic, pulling geographics, couldn't um, financially support the family. She had a son, my father, who was alcoholic, who died of cirrhosis of the liver. Her other son, my uncle Danny, came out of the closet when he was 30 years old in the early 60s and decided to tell everybody that he was gay. And in the early 60s, that was not a fashionable thing to do. And we all kept secrets in those days, but everybody knew that uncle Danny was gay. But when he came out and he had the courage to admit it, <gasps> you can't, you, you can't, you can't. And so everybody sort of ostracized him. And in uh, that year, at, at the age of 30, he overdosed on uh, uh, drugs and alcohol. So my grandmother had all the manifestations of the isms going around. And while this was happening, I, she didn't go to Al-Anon, you know, and she tried to raise me. And so I have, you know, through the 12-step program, forgiven her. But then again, I get angry at somebody that's doing it to me and I blame it on my grandmother one more time. And then I realized, you know, the horrible life that my grandmother led and my mother led and my father led. I used to think that um, when they were, lowering my mother into the grave in San Diego. She died, you know, I guess I was 18 or 19 years old. And my father said to the rabbi, what was the point of her life? You know, she 44, she suffered. And the rabbi looked and said, well, Louis, sometimes we just don't know. We can't understand what God's will is. Now, I don't know about you, but that is not an answer. And that is not an answer from a rabbi for crying out loud. That's God. It's going to make a person. That's the kind of God that I'm afraid of. That's the God that's waiting for me around the corner. And even though my life is good right now, I know that tomorrow the, the pandemic is going to hit and Russia is going to send that the hydrogen bomb tomorrow. So it, I get hungry when I, I think about that. So you guys calm me down. You guys... I took a, had the confidence to take a fourth step. Poor Richie listened to my fifth step for three days, not continuously. We did stop for lunch, you know, and other meals, but he told me, you know, it took me three days to, to get dump my stuff. I'll sit and listen to you. How did he know it was going to be three days? By the way, I got a thing in the mail about Richie's um, anniversary. He's been dead, I think, maybe about four years now. And uh, I miss him, but I hear him in my head every day. So, Richie, I, I hope you're looking down on us. And, and uh, I know you're proud of us. So I'm proud of you. I'm proud to mention you in my pitch. So anyway, taking this fifth step. So what, what was the point of my, my mom's life? So I thank God, you know, I don't have schizophrenia. I've only 
got I'm the garden type compulsive overeager, you know, the, the, uh, the problem centers in my brain. I know that. I know that I'm Mishaga, but thank God I don't hear voices. And now my son, my, my, my youngest son, Nikki, was diagnosed with schizophrenia about three years ago. And he's coping with that now. And I'm hoping that he kind of gets to the 12 steps, but he's safe and he's home and I love him. And they have medication now that they didn't have in the early fifties that can treat schizophrenia very, very well. So what am I trying to prove here? The point is, so the point of my mother's life, how do I want to, uh, how do I want to see this? Okay. So I'm clean and sober and abstinent um, for 31 years. I've been doing this uh, consistently for 31 years. Um, God has given me a career. Um, I didn't have a full-time job until I was 43 years old. I never wanted to commit to anything, let alone working full-time. In those days, I was an actor, or at least I thought I was. And so I had to take off at noon to, uh, in case auditions came my way. And um, I didn't go to any auditions, but I went to the beach a lot because you can get tan at the beach and in case any auditions came my way. And um, so... When I uh, came to you guys the second time, because I had a slip I, I started using in my other program. And for me, it's pretty easy because I'm a, an alcoholic and an addict. Um, if I start using, I, I lost my abstinence. So um, I heard Dr. Paul, I went to a meeting in my other program and Dr. Paul is the author of On Acceptance in the big book. If you haven't read it, I recommend it. It's a great, great story. And Paul was always accessible. And he said at that meeting, never in my 20 some odd years of sobriety have I had a problem that the 12 steps did not offer me a solution. And that hit me so hard because I was so far away from the 12 steps and I was in to therapy and anger therapy and introspection. And I, I had lost conscious contact with the God that you give me in this program. That's the only God that I know that makes me reasonably happy, joyous, and free while I don't have to anesthetize myself with food. Long story short, I started calling him and uh, got myself into a very structured and disciplined home group in my other program. And uh, I knew I was the compulsive eater. And I told my sponsor, I need a sponsor in OA for it to work. And he said, I know, kid, I can't help you in that, that program. I don't have that problem. Go, go, to, go to OA. So I did that 31 years ago. And a sponsor told me to go back and talk to a counselor. Um, uh, I, for 17 years had passed while I was in the disease. I was going to be a teacher and uh, I didn't want to commit. I was scared. And so I quit right in the middle of student teaching. Uh, Clancy said, why don't you go back and talk to a counselor? And I said, well, I don't think I want to teach Clancy. I'm, a, I'm an actor. And he says, Michael, it doesn't matter whether you're an actor, a dentist, a doctor. What matters is you go back and complete something that you left incomplete. Can you talk to a counselor? He made it very simple for me. And I went to talk to a counselor. And long story short, I ended up, I don't think I needed one class. And I started teaching. You know, I didn't think I wanted to, but I just did the next indicated thing. And uh, I ended up in a, a classroom with uh, orthopedically health impaired. Excuse me, Michael, you've got five minutes left. Thank you, Melissa. So I uh, um, ended up in a special day class. And in those days, they needed teachers and they need them again now, by the way. And so they paid for me to uh, um, teach this uh, 
little kids in walkers and wheelchairs with cerebral palsy and muscular dystrophy. And there weren't that many of them, maybe 10, 11 of them in, in the classroom. And the parents trusted me, you know, to teach them while I was going to one class at a time. Um, at Cal State LA and getting my special ed credential. And I started having children of my own. And uh, I lasted uh, in that uh, job for 11 years. And I loved it. I loved the kids. I call many times Richie and say, Richie, God, they, they have standards and they're asking the kids to read and they can barely talk. And, and, and he said, Michael, just shut up and love the kids. Can you shut up and love the kids? I said, yeah, I can do that. Because I really, really love the kids. Uh, my job now is I'm, I'm an itinerant uh, theater arts teacher and in elementary school, and I'm at uh, school every day, and I teach five classes a day, and uh, I teach them uh, theater arts now. I don't know if they're learning anything about pantomime and improvisation, and but boy, do I sing and do I dance and do we have a good time and do I find those kids that look like I felt when I was in elementary school. And don't do I love the hell out of them? I, I know I do that. And uh, I've been doing that for, I think this is my 16th year. So I've had this career for 27 years and it's a decent career and it affords you a lot of vacation. And I love vacation and it's paid vacation. And I love paid vacation and they have great insurance. The, the problem that I have now is if I retire and I think I can actually monetarily retire, but I don't think I want to, you know what I mean? I mean, at the end of the day I do cause I'm tired and you know but I love what I do. And if God's given me enough health to, to, to have joy with these kids I, and, and I think I wanna keep doing it, you know a year at a time. And it's afforded me, um, you know, great health insurance. We don't have to pay anything for health insurance. When I retire, you got to pay, what, $150, $160 a month for Medicare. And, you, you know, and so anyway, I'm very accepting and satisfied with where I am uh, right now. Um, I'm going to go meet my... Um, my uh, cousin, my second cousin from Colorado and his wife and all my children, I've got four children are gonna come. We're gonna meet at Frito Misto in uh, Santa Monica. Frito Misto, oh my God, has spaghetti and clam sauce. And that is fuck friggin' killer, you know what I mean? But I love it and I want it. And uh, what I do is my sponsor now is Terrell. On a daily basis, I, uh, I take a fifth step, the exact nature of my food. And I'll talk to Terrell before I go. I may have, you know, a salad with chicken or something like that. And I won't have the bread or whatever, because I know what's healthy. Or I may have indulged in pasta with clam sauce without the bread and the salad or something. And I've got an accountability little thing on, you know, they have apps on your phone now, then you can get calories or points or whatever. And that keeps me accountable. What also keeps me accountable is getting on the scale. I wasn't proud of, I ate about 11 o'clock last night and I don't usually eat late at night. And so my head said, well, don't go, don't get on the scale. I go out of the house to get on a scale. I don't have one in my house because I think I could get obsessed on a daily basis and do that. So I had my head was very busy and I, I prayed. I talked to somebody this morning. I got on the scale. And I didn't gain any weight. So that's nice. That's kind of good accountability news. But uh, it's not about the weight. It's about the weight up here. And if you guys have as busy a head as I do, 
um, you want to eat uh, on a consistent basis. And for today, I, I know the right thing to do. And my higher power keeps me uh, in touch with actually having the power to do that right thing. So I see a lot of people on here that I know. I'm looking forward to, uh, to talking. And I think I'm out of gas. So again, Carla, for, for uh, asking me. And uh, thanks for letting me share. Thank you. Okay. So now I got to get back to my phone. Hold on and get the format and just patience, patience, please. Um, okay, so it says here, uh, I, okay, I qualified. So it says, I have asked um, Pamela to read the 12 traditions. Please unmute and the reading will be shared on the screen. Hi, my name's Pamela and I'm a compulsive overeating. Eater, the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Number seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Eleven, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, hence the OA name uh, never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We always need always maintain personal anonymity at levels of press, radio, films, television, and other public resources of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Pamela. It's good to see you. The LA Intergroup, oh, the seventh tradition states that every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. The LA Intergroup requests that you continue to contribute as we still have operating expenses, including our office rent and the subscription cost of this room service. Any amount is appreciated and supports your recovery. 
go to www.donate.oalaig.org for a direct link to our PayPal account. There is a place to specify Serenity Sunday, and the tech host will place the link in the chat. And now it's the time that I'm waiting for is the secretary report. Cindy? Hi, I'm Cindy, your secretary for this meeting. Please join me in thanking Michael for speaking this morning. Let's thank others who do service at this meeting. If you have a service position, please wave your hand. The OA tools of recovery help you abstain from compulsive food behaviors. The tools are plan of eating, meetings, telephone, writing, literature, action plan, anonymity, service, and sponsorship. For more information, read the tools of recovery pamphlet. A sponsor is a compulsive overeater who is abstaining from compulsive food behaviors while living the 12 steps and 12 traditions to the best of their ability. They're willing to share the recovery with other members of the fellowship, and they are committed to abstinence. Find a sponsor who has what you want and ask how they are achieving it. Will all available sponsors use the raise hand icon so you can be called on to unmute and just to say your name? Kathy. Kathy. Is that it? I'm just supposed to say my name. Okay. Okay, you're good. Marin. Hi, Marin, compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic, and I like to work the 12 steps. My number's on the screen. If you are interested in working with me, just call me. Thanks. Uh, Rachel. Hi, Rachel, compulsive overeater, sugar addict, uh, available to sponsor women um, on Pacific time zone. Thank you, Lillian. Hi, Lillian, compulsive overeater and sponsor, and my name and number are in the chat. Thanks. And Michael. Michael, compulsive overeater. Thank you. And Jimmy. Yeah, uh, my name is Jimmy, uh, grateful recovering uh, bulimic. Uh, I'm available to sponsor and or be a step guide. Uh, thank you. I'll put my name and uh, number in the chat. Thank you. Hank? You have to unmute. Good morning, everybody. My name is Hank Nyer. My number is next to my name. Uh, 33 years, 100 pounder. Michael, great chair. Good to see you as always. Call me anytime. Uh, last is Marky. Hi, Marky, compulsive overeater, 32 years of abstinence, available for food and step sponsorship. My number is in the chat. 